Welcome to the Relentless Pursuit Podcast. A great task remains, and we all have a role we can play. But what do we do with the questions we have about missions, about walking with God, about ourselves? Well, here's a space for us to wrestle and discover together. We don't have to have it all figured out to take our next step. Today's guest has me very excited to introduce to you. Rachel is coming to us today from Paris, France, where she loves getting to share life and the gospel with secular, non-religious people. Rachel has a background, I'm sure, that is very similar to many of you. She was quite young when she remembers coming to faith as a kid in Arkansas, but didn't identify as someone who was walking deeply with God until college when she got involved with campus ministry. After college, she did three years of mobilizing with the traveling team, which brings us up to where she is today, serving with Pioneers in Paris. Y'all, Rachel quickly became one of my favorite people in Pioneers because she is extremely organized, she's quick to respond, and can get things moving, and she's a ton of fun. So I can't wait for you to hear her story today as we gather around the topic of God's will. Rachel, bless your beautiful soul for taking on such a topic today. I am thrilled to have this conversation with you. So welcome to our show. Hi, thanks. Thanks for asking me to be on the show. Oh gosh, I seriously wish people could see your smile right now and see you sitting (laughs) in your Parisian apartment. Um, It would definitely set the stage for a cozier conversation, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, I love my little apartment. Well, we're going to hear all about that in a bit, but for now, I want to dive right in because we have got some ground to cover. Um, We want to camp out with you today around this idea of God's will when it comes to global Mm. mission. And I'll be honest, this topic can be really intimidating, whether you heard about Jesus for the first time yesterday or you've been following him for decades. Um, And so I want to start by asking, When did you first start hearing about God's heart for the world, um, and how was it presented to you? So I grew up in a Christian home, and I think just being in the Christian environment, you you hear about missionaries, you know it's a thing. And so growing up, I mean, basically all of my youth years, missionaries to me were somebody that like... It was something that you were called to. It was very specific to you know people that wanted to do that. They did that. And if that wasn't necessarily your thing, you weren't really involved in it. I mean, I remember as a kid, I read a missionary biography. I mean, I think I was seven or eight. And I remember reading a missionary biography and thinking, yep, nope, not for me. And it was just this, this image in my mind of missionaries were these kind of like strange, socially awkward people that wore you know, full length denim skirts and just, you know, frumpy hairstyles. I don't know. Like it was just not the image of what I wanted for my life. Sure. So that was kind of like my just, I don't know. That was the church context I was in was missionaries were them. And then everyone else kind of did their own thing. Okay. Um, But then when I went to university, I went to the University of Arkansas and I got involved in a campus ministry that was very much mission minded And so then I started hearing this whole concept of we are all a part of God's mission. We're all called to be involved. And my gut reaction coming from the background I had was most definitely, uh, yeah, not me. And Mm -hmm. people would talk about it. They would, you know, talk about why there was a need for missions. And for me, it was just, it wasn't even a consideration of something I would do. It was not what I felt called to do. It was not what I wanted to do. And so 
it was kind of, I, I dismissed it, but yet I couldn't escape it because of the campus ministry I was involved in. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So you're surrounded by it at this point in your life. You're hearing about it. Um, you are seeing, um, God's work around you. So like you said, you, it kept coming up, but you dismissed it. So what did you do with that? Where did you feel like, oh, there's this big part of me that I'm avoiding or like, did it, did it feel really comfortable to kind of dismiss it or what, what was kind of going on at that point? Well, so around those, that same time is in this campus ministry, they also put a heavy emphasis on um, just evangelism and discipleship. And so I was, I was getting involved in those things. I was serving in my ministry. I was sharing the gospel with people for the first time. And in doing that, I started getting more and more convinced that, wow, this is what the Christian faith is about. But for me, it kind of stopped at my immediate circle. And so anything that was kind of cross-cultural, I, yeah, I didn't really, personally, I didn't feel any problem saying, nope, that's not for me. That's not what I'm called to. But the circles I was involved, I was in, it was very much constantly talked about. And so what I was kind of having to like push back against the grain but all the while, I think the the greater church culture is not necessarily wasn't necessarily pushing me to that direction. So I had this, you know, well, depending on who I'm talking to, I feel fine with refusing this. But then in my campus ministry and in my college town and church, um, people just kind of kept challenging me on that. And honestly, I, I mapped it out one time. It was a span of two to three years of me just being very stubborn and very resistant, and the Lord just whittling away at me little by little and step by step kind of making me, okay, I'll concede that point, but no more. Okay. I'll, that I could consider doing, but not, you know, this or that. And so it was just little by little, the Lord had to soften my heart to get to the point where I was able to accept the next aspect of missions. And so, yeah, I, it was, it was me fighting, honestly. Sure. It sounds like it was such a process. And so at that point, what were you hearing about calling? You mentioned earlier, you know, having like these internal conversations of, well, I'm not called or, well, they are, but I'm not. Or so what were, what were you hearing about calling? What were you learning about it at the time? In the talks that I would hear and that people would give, they were all saying how this is God's heart. And so we are all called to be a part. And I think just for me, I reacted to that even the word calling, because I thought, well, that calling is something very, you know, you're going to know it when you've got it. And I definitely do not want that. So it must not be a calling. And so I think this whole idea of we're all a part of it. And initially for me, it was a kind of an emotional, I guess, idea that if that's what you're drawn to, if that's what you're naturally interested in, then it must be some calling or God spoke to you and just gave you this clear confirmation. And that never happened to me. And it actually, for me, what kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was when I took perspectives on the world Christian movement and they just outlined in depth this biblical foundation for why God is a global God and how this is what he's been doing since the beginning of creation and when they would, when in perspectives and other talks I heard, whenever they talked about this is this is God's mission, I I could fight up against against the idea of, oh, I'm not called to missions, but I could no longer fight what Scripture said. And I think that's ultimately what 
I had to just surrender to was, okay, I can't argue against scripture. Oh, that's so good. I'll never forget the moment. Well, I'm sure lots of us can when we first realize, oh, perhaps like the world truly wasn't made for me and mm-hmm. God wasn't made for me. Um, but what if he really is the center? What if is, this is God's story that I'm a part of? And I, yeah, that moment when you first realize like, wow, like I, what would my life look like if I was living for God's glory, living for God's purpose, for God's story that I see, um, you know, from Genesis to Revelation. That's, yeah, that's powerful. But let's talk for just a second about just the terminology of calling, because let's be honest. Well, I think this anyway, it can sound insane when someone Mm. says, well, I was called, God called me. Um, Because what does that even mean? What the heck? And I know like, Often when I have friends who have said that to me in the past and and their plans sound so clear and and just, you know, um, they have such strong direction, I often think, well, what are you doing that made you hear that? Because I don't hear, you know, a darn thing when I I feel like I ask God what my calling is. And so, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. What were you thinking when you'd hear friends say, well, I'm called, so I'm doing this? And it sounded so confident and so clear, but meanwhile, you were thinking, well, (laughs) I don't really know what I'm called to yet, but yeah. Yeah. It's a great question because I think that for me was one of the, that was the clincher of maybe it's God spoke to you and just made it this revelatory moment. I mean, people that would say, I was a kid and God called me to missions. And I was like, what on earth? Like what happened to you? How did did you you have a dream? (laughs) And so I just kind of like thought that was weird, but I was like, sure, whatever. If that's your thing, do it. Um, and then I would have friends that were just so convinced, like they wanted to go to the, the the hardest tribe in the middle of the Sahara Desert. And I just, you know, it was this passion, this burden, and I didn't have that either. And so I thought, yeah. well, clearly I'm, you know, I'm not called. I mean, I, I do remember saying when I was in college, people would ask me, you know, obviously it was kind of this, so do you, are you going to go overseas? Do you want to serve overseas? And I was always in love with Italy and Europe. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll serve overseas if it's in Italy. Like it was very much on my terms. If it's like this little, you know, movie adventure, sure, I'd be happy to do that. But because I didn't really feel any certainty or any deep, conv- you know, burden or passion, I just kind of assumed I wasn't called. And because so often people talk about it that way. And that's where I think when when a scripture was exposed to me as this, it was, I mean, I remember reading what, just what you were saying earlier. I remember reading, um, or there was a talk, and they were talking about Psalm 67. And the entire psalm, which I had read before, it wasn't new to me, the entire psalm talks about the nations, the peoples, all the earth. And it was all of a sudden, like this light bulb went off of, oh, this psalm isn't about me. This is about what mm. God's doing in the world. And I did, wasn't viewing scripture this way. And so for me, it was, okay, now that I have this foundation of this is a biblical mandate. So then now what, what do I do with this? Because I still didn't really have a desire to be a missionary. It was not ever something I wanted to do other than my little adventure in Italy. Um, and it just kind of took the form of me saying, okay, well then how do I, you know, I'm a college student at this point, how do I start living it out? And so I started um, 
you know, hanging out with some of the international students. I took perspectives. I started being paying more attention to what was happening in the world and, and praying for the world and just kind of started taking these little steps of, okay, well, while I'm here in this phase of life that I'm in, what does this look like to start living this out? And it kind of, that just built upon itself. There was, there was never a moment. And I would still say this all the way up until moving overseas. There was never a moment where I felt I have to be a missionary. This is the one, this is the way that I am called. It was just little by little in my life. I started taking these steps of obedience in that direction. And then as I was, it was in the obedience that God confirmed the calling, but it wasn't before. Whoa, Rachel, (laughs) say that again. Repeat that. That was dynamite. Um, I, yeah. So for me, it was in the obedience towards God's will that he confirmed this calling to serve him. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) That's good because for anyone taking notes right now, that would be certainly a line to jot down because this almost sounds like um, what you're describing is like, this is the step one. Like if, mm. if we're going to talk about God's calling, if we're going to, you know, invite God's will into our life, then, then this is step one of like what you were saying. I, you know, I started taking daily steps of obedience. So I started walking with God. Um, I practiced, you know, sharing my faith and I had to know God's word. I had to know what God's mm-hmm. word says. Um, and really, it sounds like a big part of that too is uh, fixing your eyes. So, like um, taking the gaze off yourself and, and just being so inward, but rather yeah. look deeply into what is God saying? Because you said mentioned this earlier, and I love this, but you can't refute God's word. Um, it, you, what's mm-hmm. written there, it 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 is very applicable. It's so relevant. It, it covers us even now. Um, and so this is so good. I love that idea of just these small steps of obedience um, to to continue to hear from God, to to understand more about perhaps um, the the bigger calling and just mm-hmm. the daily pursuit. Um, and I okay, I want to hear more about this too because you have mentioned now a couple times that. You, at this point in your life, you're still you're you're ending the near you are near the end of college, mm-hmm. um, and you are still not excited about missions. Um, so let's jump in there still of like okay, so what what's what had to keep stirring then at that point um, to bring you to a place of wanting to go? Well, okay, so at the end of perspectives, which was my junior year of college, at that point I took perspectives and I was like, okay, I'm done fighting, fine, <laughs> <laughs> and so. I did this summer project out in Los Angeles with this organization called The Traveling Team. And at the end of that summer, it was just all about going in depth about God's heart for the nations. And at the end of that summer, I thought, okay, I was coming into my senior year. So I was thinking about, you know, what am I going to do post-grad? And I was so, my life had been so irrevocably changed at that point. Like I knew that the direction of my life was going to be different, even if I still didn't know what I was going to be doing. And so at that point I thought, I wish that I had known about this message, like this whole idea of we're, we're the means that God accomplishes his global purposes and God Mm -hmm. is a global God. And yet that's not where the reality of the, the world is today. And so I thought, I wish more people knew about this. Like, this is just such an important message, and most churches don't talk about it. And so I actually realized, wait, that's what this organization, the traveling team, does. 
And so I decided for my three years post-grad to to join this ministry, the traveling team. And basically three years, we traveled around the country and went to college campuses and just broke down this whole idea. We walked through the biblical basis of missions. We exposed the needs in the world. We talked about the ways to get involved. And just for me, that was even because when I graduated college, I still wasn't ready to move overseas, but I knew that in some form or fashion, I had to be involved in this mission. And I kind of still thought I would, I would live live in America and live it out, but I, I wanted to be open. I was open now to the idea that it could be elsewhere in the world. But I knew that, okay, I've got these three years where I want to spread this message that so radically changed my life. And so there was three years of that, of just mobilizing students, even churches, to have this view. And even in that period, even in that three-year period, I still never had a moment of, I have to live overseas. You know, missions are like, overseas or bust. It was yeah. still this idea of, okay, this is what it looks like in this phase of my life now. I have no idea what's next. But since overseas is an option, why not try it? So I did take, I did a short-term trip during that time. Um, and it was through that experience, that short-term summer experience, that the Lord confirmed even more in this direction. And so it was still little by little of just this, okay, well, maybe it's not overseas immediately after college, but I can mobilize for these three years and it's not Mm -hmm. the rest of my life. And then during that, it was even more just, okay, well, why not try to go overseas and see what's next? And it was going in that over short-term trip that I kind of felt more confirmation to move in that direction. Um, So then by the time I finished the traveling team, I still was not at this absolute certainty that I was going to move overseas, but it was a strong option at this point. Um, and as I kind of started exploring options of, do I stay in America and serve in this way or get a normal job or do I go overseas? Um, it was kind of the, the doors seemed to be opening for overseas and there wasn't necessarily as much momentum happening on the staying in America front. And so I thought, well, geez, I guess I might as well pursue this, this option. And yeah, so that's kind of what rolled me into the looking over cross-cultural submissions. Yeah. Yeah. I, from hearing your story here, kind of just my observation is this word open or just openness. And it sounds like, you know, with you choosing that posture of humility of God, I'm open to what you would do. I don't feel excited about this right now. It's not like I have this overwhelming <laughs> desire to go, but mm. I'm so open to being a part of global missions and and uh, educating, mobilizing, sending others in the meantime. And I feel like just from hearing kind of how that timeline played out for you, God was so um, intentional to use that season mm, of your yeah. life to to kind of build within you this this really slow stirring um to kind yeah, of cultivate became, a desire it was as i was doing these things i got even more just convinced and convicted that this is worth giving my life to hmm. as i was doing it yeah oh that's so good and i yeah I think having the the open hand visual, like I'm literally seeing someone like right now with their, just their hands out in front of them open, um, that posture just seems so right when it comes to, mm. man, I think just hearing from God, hearing more about um, his calling for our lives. And so 
Okay, so now we have reached the end of traveling team. We are about to um, make that, I guess, decision mm. to choose um, global missions. So how did you get involved with Pioneers? So actually, that was when I did my short-term trip with Pioneers. I did their summer program called Edge Trip. Because with the traveling team, I knew pioneers. We worked closely alongside them. And so I knew that it was – I liked the people. And I kind of thought, oh, these are cool people. I could <laughs> I could work with them. They're cool missionaries. Yeah. And so I um, – yeah, I just really cl- clicked with the organization. And so I thought, you know, I'll do a short-term trip with them. And it was – even at that, my whole experience of that was just confirmation of I really like pioneers. I like their their values, their – kind of the DNA of it. And so when I was looking at going overseas, I kind of knew after just my years of experience around them, I knew that Pioneers was who I wanted to go with if I went overseas. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, What am I saying? Of course that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) We love Pioneers, don't we? Why wouldn't you go Um, with Pioneers? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um. So hi, how did you end up um, deciding then on Paris? What was it about um, being a missionary there that really stood out to you and made you feel like that was where you wanted to begin? So the ironic thing is that I wasn't looking at Paris. Um, and actually, this is another part of my journey is that I, I've always been drawn to Europe. I've always been drawn to, you know, Italy. I took Italian in high school and college and there was just maybe that's the typical American in me is that I just I'm mesmerized by Europe. And so prior, it was more just a, a self-motivated, like, oh, it just sounds exotic and adventurous. And so then when I started learning about missions and learning about all the unreached people groups, in my mind it was I couldn't Europe didn't fit into that box. And so I was kind of felt this guilt this whole time about I can't go serve in Europe. I mean, is it really considered unreached? Is it really needy? And you're not really a legit missionary if you're not just suffering in the jungles or in the desert somewhere. And so I just, I didn't think they were compatible to do the, the, Mm -hmm. to have the two together. And, but thankfully I had some really godly wise women in my life who knew me and had known me throughout my college years. And they, they had observed the way that I'd lived and they told me that they're like, Rachel, as long as we've known you, you have always been drawn to atheists and the agnostics. And you would just randomly find yourself in conversation with somebody on campus who was an atheist. And I didn't seek it out, but that was just kind of naturally who the Lord brought on my path and who I was drawn to and the conversations I loved having. So I did love talking with very secular post-Christian there is no God. That was just kind of the people I love to be around and love to talk with. And Hmm. that is Europe. And so I had these godly (laughs) women who were like, Rachel, I don't see why you're trying to force yourself to be somebody that you're not naturally. Um, Because I think I just thought, well, I have to go. You know, I hate heat. I hate the desert and I hate bugs. And so I thought, well, I must have, I've got to go to the, got to go to North Africa then. That's the only solution because clearly if I hate it, it's got to be where I go. And so I tried. I even looked. I was like, well, okay, Lord, I'm going to go to North Africa and try it out. And these women were like, Rachel, God didn't necessarily make you to be that person. He did make you to be this person. And that seems to fit really well in Europe. So I don't see why you're fighting this. Um, but it was. It was just this mentality of it's not hardcore enough. It's not It's not the sexy mm-hmm. missions. It's like 
vacation. And so um, when I did my short-term trip, it actually was in France. And at at the end of that short-term trip, I thought, okay, I do feel confirmation about Europe. Um, But even then, Italy was kind of always on the forefront of my mind. And so I was even trying to pursue Italy. And France was kind of like, yeah, okay, second option. But I ended up – there was a team that – I knew because of my short-term trip that I really clicked with and they were inviting me to join their team. And I thought this could be a temporary thing. And so, and they weren't in Paris, but they were in France. And so I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll, it'll be a stopover. I'll, I'll get some experience with them and then I'll move to Italy eventually. And long story short, I ended up loving France, didn't expect to, and loving French people. And I, because I had spent my language school year in Paris, I also just realized that I loved this city. I love serving in an urban context. I love serving in a big city. And so, yeah, Paris was actually not the destination. And yet I, it's such a great fit for me, actually. Mm. I love this. I, I love hearing about how there was such a kind of desire that you probably didn't even know how to put words to it, mm. but you already had such a natural strength and an interest in the type of people that um, live in France and, and that um, you'd be ministering to. So I don't even know how to ask this question, but I feel like there's something there to add. It's something worth asking is what's the connection then between God's calling and our our strengths, um, our interests, like our desires? Do you think that there is a connection there that God uses or does God put those desires there? Or mm. what do you think is the connection? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's honestly what I had to wrestle with during all those years was because I was naturally drawn to this. But, you know, I I saw the stats for other parts of the world and I thought, gosh, like there's even more need in the other parts of the world. So how can I, in good conscience, go go to Europe, even though the stats are still very, very pitifully small? Um, Mm. And actually, one of the one of the things that really just took the burden off my shoulders was I was reading a book by this guy named J.D. Greer called Jesus Continued. And there's this one chapter called God Doesn't Need You. And this is a guy who has a church in North Carolina, and they are passionate about sending people to the Muslim world. And when he, this chapter is all about the fact that if we look at the state of the world, if we look at the needs in the world, we will be overwhelmed by all that has to be done. And we're going to feel like we have to bear that burden or else it's never going to be done. No one's ever going to, you know, if not us, then who? And and yet reading this chapter, it was such a reminder of this is God's mission. It's God's reputation on the line. He will not let it not be accomplished. And so whether you participate or not, he will see it done. He will be glorified by all peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues. It's just our privilege to play a part. But if I if I never lifted a finger for God's global purposes, he would not be bereft. And for me, that was an immense relief because there are too many needs in the world. There are too many burdens to take on. And we're not capable of doing that. Only he is. And so I think for me, it was this it was just a a burden off of, okay, then if I get to, and if it's just a privilege, then I don't have to force something. And he does even talk about how there is gifting involved and God doesn't, 
He doesn't entrust the whole mission to you. He just entrusts a part of it to you, which means that how he made you does have a role to play. Now, I also think you have to balance that with willingness to say, Lord, maybe you made me to be this and this and this, but I might have to surrender that for this time or for this type of service. And so I do think there's a balance there of, I want to be willing to do anything at any time, anywhere, but I do, I can take into consideration the fact that you made me to be this kind of person who has these particular burdens and giftings and um, find, kind of working those two things out in submission to him. Yeah, that's fire. I, for anyone listening, this would be the time to jump back a minute and re-listen to that because I think that that's spot on. I, I love that. And you mentioned surrender, and I want to come back to that in a minute. Um, but for now, can we hear a little bit about what an average day looks like for you in the field right now? Yeah. So I am, I kind of have two hats in my role here in Paris. I am starting a team and so, and, and trying to have a local ministry here. So that's kind of my local ministry side. But then I also do have an administrative role for kind of recruiting people to within Pioneers to serve in Europe. Um, so it gives me a little bit of a structure to my day in some sense, but also a whole lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't honestly say what a given day looks like because every day is different. But typically the way I answer this question is that life in law, in, in full-time ministry in a lot of ways can look just the way it would anywhere. Like I go grocery shopping. I go to the gym. I'm serving in my church. I respond to emails. I do the same things that I would do anywhere. I just have more time to do it. And so, you know, some days I go to a coffee shop and I just work on emails and then maybe I'll go grab coffee with somebody or dinner with my neighbors or go for a run with the girl I'm discipling. Um, And it's honestly, I think my pastor here said something really cool is that in a a lot of ways, serving as a missionary, you're just another person, another part of member of the church. And yet we have far more time and freedom to do things that maybe others don't have to do. And so in one given week, somebody who's got a 45 hour, 40 hour work job or job, they might can meet up with people once, twice a week. Whereas for me, I can fill my week with that. So it's just a lot of coffee dates, dinner dates, um, trying to be salt and light in the, in the environment that God has put me in. So it's nothing, nothing glamorous by any means. Um, even though I do live in Paris, <laughs> but it's just a lot of normal life activities that I try to live with intentionality to share the gospel or to be a witness and be a light in darkness. Yeah, I love that. I think we're all dying to know as well. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite pastry or <laughs> bakery or anywhere that you go regularly? Um, okay. So there's not, it would be impossible for me to say a favorite bakery because there's thousands, you know, I have like <laughs> five within a two minute walk from my apartment. Um, gosh, it's, there's so many good ones. I really love all the like chocolate, um, like that are gooey and melty in the middle. They do a lot of things with like, it's called a fondant and yeah, basically anything with their melted chocolate, like molten cakes. Amazing. And I do love oh, the um, okay. the pain au chocolat is like a croissant with chocolate in it. 
It's pretty amazing. And the typical baguette. Gosh, it's you don't even pay a dollar <laughs> and you get this like incredible baguette. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to move on from these <laughs> questions because we're all trying to book tickets right now to Paris. Um, so let's maybe sober that out a little bit with, um, can we actually hear as well, what have been some of the more challenging or, you know, more the, the harder days that you've experienced since being in the field and living in a foreign country and just not being where you grew up? So I think that's something that I'm really grateful to my years with the traveling team for is that in my exposure to missions and missionaries, I kind of got a realistic picture that missions is not this romantic, idealized people coming to the Lord by the thousands. Like I had a very realistic image of what life on the field was like. And I'm very grateful for that because even as I was preparing to move to France, I was very conscious of the fact that this is going to be hard. It is easier to stay in my home country where I speak the language. I'm socially adept. I'm a fish in water. I know I can crack jokes and be intelligent. Like I knew all those things. And so I was preparing myself (laughs) to give those up. And, and I think you have moments where it's a, you know, particularly difficult time. And then there's other times when it's just months and months and maybe years of, just the constant rubbing up against living cross-culturally. Mm-hmm. And for me, particularly, there was two years when I lived in a different part of France. And it was probably, it was the absolute hardest period of my life thus far. And it was just, it was lonely. It was, I was struggling with the fact that I'm not living in my culture and language. I will never actually belong here, no matter how much I master the language and the culture. I will never be French. Um, I didn't have my church there. I didn't have great solid friends and community out of my church and wasn't necessarily being spiritually fed. I, um, there were times with even the people I was ministering to and sharing the gospel with when nothing was happening and you just kind of feel like, what's my purpose here? I'm not serving any purpose and I'm just using people's support money and, you know, bumming around. And, and you just have all of these things that you have to reconcile of, you really are counting costs. And, you know, there's times when I'm sitting alone in my apartment and thinking, I don't have anyone to just turn to and vent to. And I, and I have all these friends in America and these great relationships in America, and yet I don't get to live life with them. And so there was a two-year period. And and I wasn't serving necessarily in my strengths. I was in a small town, whereas I'm a big city girl. And it was very depressing for me. And so it was a two-year period where just the overall struggle of living cross-culturally, serving in a place where people don't necessarily care about the message you're bringing. Um, It was very hard. It was very much the reality of life here is more challenging in ways than it would be, even if I was going through similar scenarios, being in your home culture and your your heart, your mother tongue does simplify things. And so, yeah, Mm. it's, it's a reality. I mean, it would be, it would be foolish to imagine that life on the field is just, even life in France is just glamorous and wonderful. And, you know, ministry is just fruitful and fulfilling because that's not always true. Yeah. So what you're saying is even when uh, God calls us, when we are called, it does not make things um, 
<laughs> I guess perfect or travel free or if without. Only. Yeah, yeah, honestly, if only. Um so let's kind of revisit that then because I think um there might be a bit of a myth that we need to debunk that mm. perhaps calling happens once. Um, that it's just this one-time thing that we have at one point in our life and it just kind of sets us free in this direction for a lifetime mm. of like, okay, I had one confirmation from God and that's all I needed. So let's kind of debunk that because it sounds like, yeah, there are days even in you know beautiful Paris where mm. it is not easy. It is not easy to feel like, is this the right thing or am, am yeah. I where I'm supposed to be? So let's talk for a bit about maybe the the daily surrender or the the ongoing calling from God. We had an episode um, with Joe a couple episodes back where he was kind of setting the stage for that um, of, mm. in his own story, his own life. He had acknowledged that, you know, I don't think this is going to be just a one and done thing where yeah. God and me, you know, had one conversation and, and that was all I needed and now I'm good. Um, so let's, yeah, for you, what, gosh, on a day when – you're having just the worst day or you hate France or you're <laughs> struggling with singleness. Um, what do we do with with this idea of the daily surrender of, of the calling being reaffirmed? It's a very real question that you will have to confront um, when you're living cross-culturally because it is, like Joe said, it's a, it is a, a constant surrender of my life is not my own. I was bought at a price. And so, and there, you're going to encounter troubles in this life. That's inevitable. And yet, are you, you have to constantly take that back to the Lord and say, Lord, are, you are worthy. And, and I, there were moments, there were truly moments when I was lying on my bed at night, sobbing and just so frustrated and so unhappy because life was so hard. And being brutally honest with the Lord about what I was feeling and what I was thinking. And even to the point of saying, I'm not even sure if you're worth this because this really hurts and this is really hard. Mm. And the Lord met me in the most beautiful, intimate ways that I've ne I'd never experienced before. And, and it was this reassurance that intimacy with me, following me, no matter where it is, is what you are called to. And, and that might change. He might change it. He might change your location and your address, but pursuing him and pursuing intimacy with him, that is the most important. And as you do that, he, it is this just certainty of this is what I'm made for. And then for the time being, this, it, it's, it's here in France. And yet, because he's the one that calls the shots and not me, if he changes that, then he's still good. And so I do think it is a constant surrender because you can't just go off a, a one and done feeling. Though there are times when I, it was, it was good to go back and remember why I made this decision and, and those moments of just confidence that, okay, this is right. This is right that I'm here. You know, when I first arrived on the field and, and it was, those were moments that you could kind of hold on to. And yet when you're between a rock and a hard place and that, that doesn't suffice. And you really have to just cling to, I am his servant. He is my master and he loves me and he's good. And, and I, you know, not making decisions out of just 
the angst of the moment. I think for me, those really hard times when I was doubting, what did I, what am I doing? Did I make the right decision? Because yeah, whether it be I'm lonely and I don't really have any good friends here or, you know, I'm 30 and still single because I live in a place where there's not really hardly any believers or because no, I don't really feel like people know me because they don't, I can't show my personality in the same way that I can in English. No matter what it is, I kind of, the Lord just taught me to take it all to him and just let him be enough. And I think in those moments, not only did it, did it create just deep intimacy with him in a way that I'd never experienced before, it was also just confirmation that, okay, I'm, the next step is I'm just, I'm, I'm following you here and, and make it clear if I need to, if it needs to change. But it's, it's a constant surrender of no matter what life throws at me, I will follow you. And if you take me in a different direction, then I will follow you. Even if it's a direction I don't want to go in, but you know, sometimes it's a direction we do want to go in something. It's it, sometimes he, like he allowed me to come back to Paris and that was a gift that I was immensely grateful for. And I could accept it because it was a, I know that he's good, whether it was moving to a really hard place or moving to a place that I loved living. My aim is not to to accomplish all these great things for him. My aim is to know him and then to make him known wherever I'm at. And so I think that's how I got through those really hard moments was just clinging desperately and seeking intimacy with him. Holy moly. That is... That's that it's a good word, Rachel. I'm still <laughs> reflecting on everything you just said, and I surely can't address all of it. But uh, I'm so grateful for your perspective, for your your insight there, because I think that that is kind of a myth or something that we think um, just naturally goes away. Or you know, perhaps mm. if God did give me a calling, then I'd be happy, or then I'd feel content, or I'd feel like missions really is mm. for me, or um, something. And, and I think you know, no matter where we live, we feel that. And so to know that coming from you, someone who has been now in the mission field for a few years um, can affirm that I think is so good for um, our listeners to hear and for me to hear. I think, you know, for Mm. anyone that's um, wanting to investigate and know more about intimacy with God and kind of the daily, yes, the daily surrender of that connection with God, the ongoing calling from God. That's so powerful. And especially how that impacts even the bigger questions like uh, things like seeing singleness and, um, you know, life without um, children or the things that we often maybe assume like just comes with your life. Like those are yeah. the things that just naturally come or, or something. So um, yeah, what other advice do you have for us about kind of this idea of even singleness in the field and, and how that could that could even be a part of God's calling for your life? Yeah. I mean, that's obviously a very common question because people just assume that they just they, they can't believe that you would leave the options of getting married. And yet, um, I think for me, it, the realization of, first of all, my aim in life is not to be married. It's something I pray for. It's something I hope for. But that's not what I'm on earth for. Um, and so pursuing Lord, pursuing the Lord and his work in, on this earth is my priority. Um, and then I think just trusting that He's a good father. And so even when it's hard, even when I am lonely on the field at times, it's, I live alone. I, I don't have a family. I don't have these things that, you know, in my mind, when I was in college, I just pictured, 
I'll finish, I'll graduate college and I'll have my, the, the home with 2.1 kids and my Pinterest kitchen. And it's just going to be this Christian American dream. And that's absolutely the image I had. And it's far from what my life looks like right now. And yet in pursuing the Lord, even if it meant giving up marriage or the image of, that I had of my life, it's far worth it. Like the, the, the benefits of walking in obedience, even if it means you have to give up things that you'd always dreamt of and always imagined having for a time being, or maybe forever, you know, I don't know. Um, it is, there is a sense of just joy and of contentment that comes in knowing that, okay, I, I'm not, I'm serving the Lord. I'm giving my life to him and I can still want these things. I can still pray for those things. And yet, um, I'm confident that he is a good father and that he's sovereign. So if he wants it to happen, he will make it happen. I'm not worried. He's not, you know, powerless just because I happen to live in a foreign country. So, mm. yeah, I think that's something that it, it is a, a cost that you have to count. Um, but again, it goes into and they, they, when I was talking earlier about those just moments of deep intimacy with the Lord, I was actually really grateful in those moments that I was single because my default as an external processor and very social person is um, I just want to talk to the person that's closest to me and just hash it all out. And yet I didn't have that. And so I was kind of forced to only be able to turn to the Lord. And he met me in an in intimacy that I don't even think I could share with a, another human being. Um, and so, and then I think another aspect is just, there is some truth to what Paul says in first Corinthians seven about there is freedom and singleness to truly devote yourself entirely to the Lord's service. And I've actually seen, especially in France, a very secular culture, which idolizes sex. That's even been a huge testimony to them to show that I can be single and I can abstain from all these worldly pursuits because I have a love that's far more satisfying. And that's actually been a major open door with a lot of my friends. So for me, I think, hey, if you're going to use my singleness for sharing the gospel, I'm okay with that. So yeah, it is a, it can be a really cool aspect of our witness. Oh, it definitely can. And hearing that, hearing your perspective on how God has used your singleness um, within this calling has been so kind. He has, mm -hmm. he has brought um, great intimacy. He's brought a uh, great connection and it's been so relevant even where you live for, for this season. And so yeah. if they're, they're, there is no mistake that is made, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in the pursuit of God's calling over our life and our intimacy with Him, our worship for Him. There is just, there is no doubt that it is kind of God to yeah. make that calling and, and allow us to walk with Him. And He's so patient with us. I mean, certainly there are days where, um, like you said earlier, you know, lying on your bed crying, just being so upset and so concerned. And there are days where I feel like, I feel like I've been in this, you know, fetal position probably longer than I should. Um, but even and then, you know, God is so kind to still invite me into that daily surrender of walking yeah. with him, um, hearing his voice, knowing how to distinguish his voice from the rest mm -hmm. and uh, understanding his calling over my life and how kind it is. So, Oh, Rachel, thank you so much. I thought we could talk for a few more hours, but this has been such a good conversation and I love your perspective. Um, 
Is there a way that people can follow your story or, um, you know, hear more about this? Are you on Instagram or anything like that? I am not on Instagram. I'm a millennial who's not. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I just wanted to know. I wanted to check and make sure if there was anything we wanted to be a part of it. But we will just hope to hear from you again sometime. But um, we're so thankful for you, Rachel. And thank you for your, um, just your gift and, and sharing it with us. And uh, yeah, giving us more insight into the calling of God. Hey, thanks for... Thanks for letting me share it because it's really Thanks for making for time for our discussion today. If you've got questions or feedback, send us a DM on our Instagram at Relentless Pursuit Podcast or contact us through our website at RelentlessPursuitPodcast.com. You are not alone in the relentless pursuit of God's glory. We are here with you and are passionate about helping you take your next step.